Okay, Sam. Joke of the day. that the first french fries weren't actually made in France? Where were the first french fries made? They were actually cooked in Greece. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've been discussing leaving Israel back on the drums just so that at the end of every joke he can go badam ching, you know? Colossians uh, 3, 12, and 13, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'll read it again. Colossians 3, 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In the verses prior, we just finished hearing Paul say there's no more Jew and Gentile, no more circumcised, uncircumcised, no more slave or free or barbarian or Scythian. But Christ is all that matters and Christ is in all. That God's making one new people uh, and the covenant people who are in Jesus are the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham. That Jew and Gentile are now grafted into this new thing which is really Israel. We are the children of Abraham by faith, both Jew and Gentile. And so it used to be that there were people who were in and there were people who were out. But now, if you look over at Ephesians, Paul says to the Gentile believers, he says, once you were not a people, once you did not know God, once you didn't have covenant, once you didn't have promises, once you were far, but now you are a people. Now you have covenant. Now you have promises. Now you're here. Now you're in and not out. Now you're qualified. Once you weren't blessed, now you are blessed. And so now on the basis of that blessing, of that chosenness, of that belovedness, he's going to tell us how do we behave now that we're blessed. It's interesting. It seems to me that this hits big time on the issue of identity. Uh, There's a... I don't know if I should name her or not. There's a female rapper, and she's uh, pretty chunky. And she's beautiful, but she's chunky. And uh, she dances on stage and flashes her chonkiness. Do you know what I mean by chonky? She's a big woman. She's, cur- she's a curvy lady. And she, she shakes her curves, and she sings like she is all that. And she announces that you're basically lucky to have met her and you are a little beneath her, and you're welcome, right? It's like my friend Steve Goss's voicemail used to say, congratulations, you've reached Steve. There's just a little swagger, and with her, it's not a little swagger, it's a big swagger. And I notice that. A lot of people in life almost apologize for entering the room. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you bump into them, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And when they have a problem with their food at the restaurant, I'm so sorry to bother you. I just, you know, this is actually burnt and raw at the same time. I don't know how you did it. There's worms crawling out. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's probably me. It's probably my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm taking up too much air and too much space. I'll go ahead and die. My bad. My bad. They're almost just like apologetic for existing. And like, you know, am I making any sense? Someone who has like no sense of self is just so insecure. They're just... I'm so sorry for existing. And then over here, 
On the other end of the spectrum is this rapper lady, singer lady, who I'm thinking of. I'm, just ask me later who it is. Because if I say it, you'll Google it, and then you'll be like, he saw that song in that video? He shouldn't be watching that. I know, I heard it on the radio, and I was like, what is going on with this lady's like, you're welcome, I'm here, you get to see me, you wish you could. So on this end is, I know who I am, and it's gone to my head, and I'm better than you. And over here, it's, I don't know who I am, and I'm worse than you, and I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And here we have Paul talking about we're a people who is chosen. We've been hand-selected by the Almighty. We've been picked for the team. He wanted you. Some people think of adoption. We've been adopted in Christ as somehow like we're second-class citizens. But adopted means chosen, y'all. When you're adopted, you've been chosen on, t on purpose. You ain't no accident. You, know, you might have a kid on accident, but you ain't going to adopt on accident. But you were chosen. You were handpicked by the Almighty. And you're holy. And here, this sense of holy means you've been set apart from the rest of the world for sacred usage. It's a privilege to be set apart for sacred usage. You, not everything gets chosen to be used as the fine utensils that are placed in the temple of the Lord for the worship of the Lord. It's a special honor and privilege to be hand-selected and made holy unto the Lord. And then it says, chosen, holy, and beloved. Beloved. You're the beloved of God, y'all. You are the beloved of God. One of the foundational talks that I heard when I first met Jesus was a Catholic priest named Henry Nouwen. Man, I love him so much. And he drew a picture on a whiteboard, or not a whiteboard, or just a big old piece of paper, he drew a circle, and he said, this is your heart. And when you don't know your belovedness, then there's, you're going to live out of your heart. You're going to live out of what's, deep, what's deepest in your center. And when you don't know your belovedness, you'll be endlessly trying to find yourself. Amen. You'll be endlessly living to figure out who you are. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but all of life is speaking over you. Everything that's ever happened to you is speaking over you. Have you heard of the identity conversation? Now, if somebody pulls a knife on you, your heart's going to race. You're going to be freaked out. But have you ever had a conversation where there's no knife pulled on you, but your heart is pounding like crazy and you don't want to be there? Chances are, it's not about the surface of the conversation that's freaking you out. But the depth of the conversation is referring to an identity issue. I didn't like math in high school. Is it because I didn't like failing classes? Or is it because I didn't like what failing classes meant about who I am? Are you with me? When I came out of seminary and I didn't have a job yet, I mean, I had little jobs, but I didn't have my career job. That job search, I remember there was a day I crawled under my desk and I could not physically move my body correctly because of the weight of the despair. I mean, I was hunting, I was looking, like, where is there a church that I would fit? The job descriptions these churches were posting, it was like, don't send me to that church. 
No, not with this one. I came here on purpose. <laughs> oh, actually, when I first came in and I saw the A-frame and the chandeliers and the pews, I was like, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. Because it all made me feel like tradition, liturgy, like stuffy, like suits and ties and like, I don't know, fakeness and weirdness. And then the singing started and I was like, oh, I'm home, I'm home. But that job search just crushed me. Now, I'm not saying it should have crushed me. Somehow, for some reason, deep inside Tim is this thing that says, I'm finding that if I don't have meaningful work in the world, that I don't know who I am. It wasn't about the job search being frustrating. It was about the identity conversation that was not on the surface. And if you'd talked to me about it, I would have been like, what are you talking about? I know who I am in Christ. I know my belovedness. No, dude, your fruit reveals what you're rooted in. Some of this stuff is not at the head level. It's at the heart level. A lot of us struggle with things at the head level we know way better than. We've known better than for 20 years at the head level. But at the heart level, we're not near beyond it yet. Because it's not about what you think. It's deeper. It's at the gut. It's deep in the belly. So Henry Nouwen drew this circle, and he's like, this is your heart. This is your gut. This is the center of your person. And, and when God speaks over Jesus, you are my son, my beloved. I'm pleased with you. That is the father naming Jesus at the deepest level. Now, what happens next? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what's the attack of the devil in all three attacks? If you are, if you're what? Are you the beloved? Are you the son? Are Are you his child? Are you his affection? Is he pleased with you? If he is pleased with you, why are you hungry? Huh? Why no one know you? Huh? Why are your life terrible if you're the beloved? Why are you sick? Huh? Why she leave you? Why can't you get a job? If you are, then you need to take advantage of this thing. You need to announce your presence to the world. I'm here. You're welcome. Right? And Jesus says, he is able to recognize the misuse of Scripture. The selfish use of Scripture that's trying to pull him off his stand. There's a stand, man. God's, God's, God's placed you here and said, you're my beloved. This is who you are. You're the chosen. You are holy. You are the beloved. And if we can sit in this, let this thing saturate and get down deep. I'm rubbing my belly like Carl, and he's not even here for it. If we can let this... Well, if it was Carl, he'd be... It's two hands and a side rub on both sides. He don't know he's doing it. It's when he gets excited. He'll get excited about Jesus, and he'll be like, Ooh, I got the holy goosebumps. And I'd be like, and the holy belly rubs. The Lord's placed you on a step. Remember in in Ephesians 6, when your battle is not with flesh and blood, but you're to put on the armor of God, every bit of that armor is nothing about you. It's all about the righteousness of Christ, the peace of Christ, the sword of the truth of Christ, the belt of truth. 
sword of the Spirit, the feet that are fitted with readiness, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Every bit of it is, is not your works. It's the finished work of Jesus. And then he says, after you've done everything, stand. Don't let it move you. From what? From your settled conviction that you are the beloved, that he has overcome and you have overcome in him. Let me give you a definition of faith. Carolyn Biggs and I were talking about this week. Faith is a settled optimism, a settled, determined optimism that all the purposes of God for my life will come to pass. And I'm going to be so settled in that that if I never see a tiny shred of evidence that it's true in this life, I will go to my grave believing it, living on it, cheerfully, optimistically, tenaciously holding to it. Because faith isn't doing as well as life is going. Faith is doing as well as the gospel has gone. So Paul says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, if that's really who you are, now, 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 you have a source. Now you have a place to stand. Most of us in relationship, our behavior towards others is almost like 100% dependent on how they treat us. I remember early in my marriage, I didn't have an anger problem. She provoked me. And in the church, it's the same thing. So he's about to go on, and the verse after this, he says, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive one another. Just as the Lord forgave you, so must you also forgive. What? But I'm hurt. I know, that's exactly why you need to forgive. That's you letting go of the hurt. Well, I can, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Hmm. There's some truth to that, but what are you doing? What are you saying? And then there's some people, they wouldn't set up a healthy boundary. They would just let somebody treat them wrong over and over again. Well, that's dumb too, dude. Forgive, but don't be stupid. But yeah, come on, man. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, not, now I have a place to stand. Because now, every time my interaction with you throws me into an identity crisis, what happens when, you th- when, I, when I feel threatened by you at a deep identity level? I go into fight or flight mode, don't I? I get defensive. I go on the counterattack. I turn it back on you. Because you're trying to tell me who I am. So then I go, mm-mm, I'm going to tell you who you are. You know? And whoa, we're not even talking about the issue anymore. The issue's gone. Now everyone's so hackled up because people are just too fragile because nobody knows who they are in this, com- in this relationship. There's whole relationships that are rooted on neither person having a clue who they are, so they're finding themselves in each other. It's called codependence. You ever seen it? You know them sucker fish that hang on the shark and eat the food? It'd be like two of them stuck to each other. You ain't going too far that way, are you? What you got to do is glom onto a shark. I'm kidding. Don't do that either. Become your own person. Glom onto Jesus. And he'd say, hey, whoa, 
I'm here to let you, I'm here to make you into a strong person who knows the Father for yourself. It's crazy. Watch your life. Check, check it out. See if this identity conversation thing, see how many places in your day, in your day, what you avoid because it triggers an identity issue for you. Who you avoid because they trigger an identity issue for you. Conflicts you put off because you can't handle conflict because if you have to say hard things, then you can't think of yourself as a loving person. But a loving person would say hard things. Yes, they would. They would say hard things gently with no manipulation or threat of punishment. But we avoid conflict or engage in conflict harshly when the way through is we, we so know our blessedness that we are not threatened. Jesus is, is just this wild-eyed pioneer who walks straight into the crowd he says the most offensive things. Just speed read the Gospel of Mark. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Not in Mark. It's rebel Jesus, mean and wild. Now, I'm not saying he's not gentle, but he's gentle to the people who need gentleness. To the people who need a smack across the head with truth, he gives it clearly. Oh, Jesus, don't you know that when you said that, you offended you offended us a little bit. And he turns and says, and you, hypocrites, you ignore the commands of God for the sake of your traditions. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, don't you dare follow them. They don't do what they say. They're whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and the stink of... And he's got a seven-point sermon, literally a seven-point sermon, on why they stink. And it's like, okay, uh, okay, Jesus, in seminary, we were told <laughs> there's not a seminary class on preaching to get murdered. How to preach to obtain murder. They will kill you if you talk this way. But why would it be that confrontational? First off, how could he be that confrontational? Because he actually cares about these people. You know, the other night we were praying, Stan and I were praying at the, at the prayer meeting, and I've been looking at this theme on how Jesus refers to his generation as a wicked and adulterous generation. And then he said, yeah, yeah. And he's so frustrated. He, the Pharisees come to argue with him, and he lets out a deep sigh. You got, I, it's the frustrated, oh, you got to be kidding me. He lets out a deep sigh. And I was thinking, okay, that's fascinating. It's fascinating that Jesus has a similar understanding of what a generation is, that a generation has, a, each generation has a prevailing spirit about it, has a character about it, has, has chosen values and leaders, right? So there's faithful generations, there's unfaithful generations, and then there's shades of gray. And so depending on our, the generation in which we find ourselves, it's easier in some ways to be a follower of Jesus in some generations. And it's harder in some ways to be a follower of Jesus. Who's with me? Did I lose you? So I would, I would be very interested to know what his assessment of my generation is. But as we were praying about this, I was realizing that his frustration with his generation did not cause him to stop being patient with individuals in that generation. He... Notice how he met Nicodemus at night. 
Why would he take the time to meet Nicodemus, a Pharisee, at night? Why would he go to Simon the Pharisee's house? Why would he take time to go to Matthew, the tax collector who's hanging out with that rapper I mentioned earlier? You know? Why is he at that house? So while we were praying, I had this picture of a dog that's nose was chock full of porcupine quills because I'd been chasing the wrong things. <laughs> and I knew that was, our, that was my generation, that my generation has been chasing the wrong things. And as a result, they're chock full of porcupine quills, but they don't want you to pull them out because that would hurt. And so I saw this, this vet, this veterinarian, carefully pulling out every single one. Is that fun work? Is it fun to hurt people? No. It takes incredible patience. There are values, there's beliefs, there's attitudes, there's ideas. And I see a lot of Christians that have not got enough love for our generation. And so all they have is judgment Amen. toward the culture. The culture is stupid, the culture is dumb, the culture is godless, the culture is sexually immoral, the culture is wrong on the politics, the culture is wrong. It's like, okay, it takes the discernment of a turd to know that. You don't have to, be, you don't have, to have a spiritual bone in your body. You could be a pagan who agrees with some Christian ideas and go that deep. But it takes love to be patient enough with a culture to unravel the knots in people's broken belief systems, heart, heart. Experiences made us the way we are. I got hurt back in this age, and now I'm on a crusade to protect others from ever being hurt the way I was hurt. And now I'm actually become a bad, a bad guy in the story. But not in my version of the story. In my version of the story, I'm a hero. I'm protecting people from being hurt the way I was hurt. Loki said this in that new Disney Loki show. He said, I know something little boys don't know. That none of the good guys are all good. And none of the bad guys are all bad. Don't you hate a, a stupid Hollywood movie where the bad guys are so pure evil? That you're like, that's right, you should blow him up in a boat at the end. Get him. In real, in real life, the bad guys are you and me. You and me who got hurt, and now we're trying to save others from getting hurt like we got hurt. That's who bad guys are in the real world. Bad guys are just people like you and me who love their country. It's just not the country that the people making the movie are in. It's just people serving their God. It's just not the God that you and I believe in. It's people protecting their kids. It's just not kids that we know. In the real world, I'm not saying there's no good guys and bad guys. I'm just saying no good guys are all good and no bad guys are all bad. It's just weird that we imagine the Nazis are opposite of who we are. Come on, bro. Read history. They were normal people who got swept away. How are we doing? Are you okay? There's something, though, about... Having our belovedness rooted down deep, saturated, soaked deep, deep, deep down. Not in here. Not up here. Deep down in here. Deep down in here. Oh, I got to get to some Greek words. 
So then he says, since this is who you are, since this is your step, since this is where you've been placed, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved, this is your step. Since this is your step, it looks a certain way in community. It looks a certain way. So he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. All right, okay. The Greek word for compassion is bowels of mercy, intestines of empathy. It's right here, guys. In the Greek mindset, your brain is the thinking thing, but your gut is the thing that feels, loves. And so it says Jesus moved in his bowels, healed them. No, it does not mean he was digesting aggressively. It means when he saw people's condition, he felt strongly compassion. He, he, felt, he felt so strongly like, oh my word. He felt pity. He felt mercy. He felt it Amen. so deeply. He said, I, I tried to get away from these crowds. I literally got in a boat and booked a private tour to an island to get away from these people. And they chased me here. Instead of saying, why can't they just leave me alone? <laughs> Moved with compassion. He healed them. And then, of course, they didn't think ahead. So they didn't bring food. So you know how that story went. Then he finally gets alone to pray. Sends the disciples on by themselves and goes to the top of a mountain. Why does he go to the top of a mountain? I'm going to eat, a, I'm gonna eat all the fish dinner and I, the free, all-you-can-eat fish buffet. Am I going to follow him up that mountain after I got the fish and he healed my diseases? I'm, I'm feeling like it's nap time. Anyway, so he goes to the top of the mountain to pray. And the disciples go on ahead and he has no boat. Which apparently to him is not a problem. Yeah. So... I got to get back on point. Oiktirmos, mercy, pity, longing, yearning, bowels. And here's that word. It sounds like bowels. Listen to this word. Splagknon. Doesn't that sound like intestines? Splagknon. Splag. 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 Splagknon. It's just all splaggy. Splagnon. This is why Jesus took the time with people. Because when he looks upon them in their need, he feels with them, with you, with me. Right? Matthew, I think it's in Matthew 9, it says that when Jesus saw them, his, he was moved with compassion. And that's that word again. So he healed them because he saw that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, of course, that's beautiful as an image that we want to also be like that. But let me tell you how I like it. I sometimes feel harassed and helpless. I'm in over my head and I'm emotionally drowning and my brain is telling me, I should be beyond feeling like I feel. Mm -hmm. 
by now in this Christian faith. I should know better. I know all sorts of Bible verses that I would quote to others in my situation. But I'm still in pain. I'm still scared. I'm still afraid. I'm still lonely. I'm still having an identity crisis. And so when I'm feeling that, it's like, oh, good. Jesus has compassion on me. That I'm helpless and feeling harassed. He has compassion on me and heals me. Yeah, let's not get so hardcore in our Christian faith that we're not able to receive the help we need from Jesus because we're too busy being his brave soldiers. A few more Greek words and then we'll stop. Kindness, Christotes, moral goodness, integrity, kindness, a gracious attitude. Clothe yourself with this. He's, it's the opposite of being severe. It's the opposite of being severe. You, have you noticed when you get this thing in your brain that says, I want to set the world right. I'm sick of the mess. I'm sick of the attitudes. I'm sick of the problems. Don't even give me that look, woman. I know you know that I know what I need. I know I need this. She's like, I wasn't judging you. You brought your own judgment to my eyes. I come by it honestly, though. It's like somebody, somebody's like, you want to talk about a hard life? Have you ever helped my dad fix a leaky faucet? I'm just holding the flashlight and I can't, you know. I, I am. It is. It's right. It is right where you're. I'm sorry, I looked away for a minute. I literally have told my children to run. Hey, can you go get me such and such tool? Why aren't you running? There's this thing that comes over me when I'm in project mode and it really needs Jesus. Humility. no frosune. Oh, goodness sakes, let me read this. no frosune. Anyway, humility. It means a lowly attitude, a modest attitude. Here's a weird detail about humility, this, this Greek word for, for humility. It does not show up in the secular Greek authors. Only the Christians talked about this. Isn't that weird? This Greek word does not show up in the secular Greek literature. It only shows up in the Christian literature. Humility, meekness, lowliness, modesty. We're to clothe ourselves. Why? Why? Because I know who I am and I don't have anything to prove. Because I know who I am and it doesn't mess with my identity to get under you and lift you up so you know who you are. Because I know my value and I'm not trying to find my value through having a certain position in community or a certain set of you know, roles or... I don't have to be treated with kid gloves or I get all hurt and offended. How dare you? Don't you know who I am? No, you don't know who you are. You wouldn't be bothered. Right? Which reminds me of a stupid joke. There was a professor who didn't accept late exams. And it was the final exam. And they were all due by nine. And there's a stack there. And the student runs in. And the teacher says, I'm sorry, it's 9.03. I do not accept late tests. You get a zero on this. And the kid said, do you know who I am? And the professor said, it's a big class. No. And he said, good. And he randomly shoved it in the pile and ran off. 
(laughs) Humility is not thinking of yourself as trash. Humility is not thinking of yourself as the worst person. Humility is not thinking that you're just so much less important than everyone else. It's knowing who you are so that you can now treat the people around you with value. You don't need all the air in the room. You don't need them to tell you all this amazing stuff to be okay, but you know who you are, so now you can serve. Now you can lift others up. Next word, patience. Did I skip one? I did, meekness. Proutes, meekness. It's a gentle friendliness. Oh my word, you guys. Gentle friendliness. Meekness, gentleness. It's a strength that accommodates other people's weaknesses. It's the opposite of being harsh with people or speaking harshly. Meekness is someone who can speak softly without a raised voice, even when they're in the midst of a confrontation. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> we just seem to revert to this idea that anger makes me powerful, don't we? And yet the scripture says that with a whisper you can guide the king and a gentle word can break a bone. In fact, if you angrily yell at me your opinion, I'm about 15 times less likely to like it, listen to it, respect it, or you again. But if you gently make a recommendation, and then you knock over your pulpit, if you gently make, okay, one of my heroes is Dallas Willard, and when he was a young preacher, he used to preach to like paint everyone into a corner so that they must agree. I got my Bible verses and my logic and my evidence and my position and this is the conclusion we're going to come to and I'm going to show you how every other opinion is foolishness and false teachers and heresy. And this older man came to him and said, can I give you some criticism? And he says, sure. Instead of aggressively painting us into a corner, telling us what we must think, how about you just make a recommendation that shows us how you think, and then say, consider it and think what you want. He changed his whole tone of his ministry from that point on. And that opened all sorts of doors with people who he would have turned off completely if he had a strong, I'm right and you're stupid approach. Because that's what the other approach is. A non-meek approach is, I'm right, you're stupid. You're stupid and here's the proof. 15 reasons why I'm right. Whereas a meek approach is consider the matter. I have no need to control you or manipulate you or raise my voice. I have a gentle approach toward life. You're not going to freak me out. Which hits to the next word, patience. Patience. I think that's our last word, yeah. Macrothemia. Patience. Just let this word, feel this word. Don't just listen to this word. Feel this word. Patience is a state of emotional calm without complaint or irritation in the face of provocation and misfortune. A state of emotional calm without complaint or irritation in the face of provocation or misfortune. It's a character issue. It's a character issue. An emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances. Steadfastness, endurance. And regarding others, forbearance. Again, what is patient, where does patience come from? 
Patience grows out of the soil of love. So if you lack patience, you don't have to pray for patience. Just pray for love. When I'm not patient with you, it's because I don't have enough love for you. The people who are the most likely to try my patience are the people I definitely need to grow in love toward. Now again, it doesn't mean I just tolerate all sorts of nonsense. We saw Jesus is very confrontational. And if we know who we are, if we know who we are and we don't let things shake us from our step, we can be the kind of people who confront in meekness, in gentleness, and boldness at the same time because we're not so freaked out by the interaction. Because what happens when you tell someone what they don't want to hear? In response, most people's first response will not be a good response. But that doesn't mean it's their last response. So prepare thyself in advance when you know you're going to have a hard interaction. If they are triggered, what will I then do? Instead of hoping they respond perfectly, prepare for how you're going to behave when they don't. In advance, no, no, I'm going into this interaction. I'm going to have to try to speak gentle truth in love. They're not going to like it. If I was in their shoes, it would be very difficult to hear because criticism or this kind of feedback is always difficult to hear. It's likely they're going to become defensive. I'm not going to be bothered by that. It's likely they're going to bargain and double down, try to manipulate and threaten to whatever. How am I going to respond? How am I going to not be moved from love? I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be moved from my posture of love because I know who I am and I know whose I am. Now, after the fact, they might leave my presence and demonize me to everyone they know because they may feel the need to demonize me to justify themselves. How will I then respond? Will I throw a self-pity party when they influence the people around them to not view me the way that God views me? This is normal. This is Christianity. Do I care that you speak in tongues? A little. Do I care that you pray for the sick? Actually, a lot more than tongues. Do I want you to speak in tongues? Yes. Do I want you to pray for the sick? Yes. Do I want you to have miracles? Yes. But you know what matters a million times more? The stuff I just talked about right there on the step. Because if you have all the power and gifts of the Spirit, but you lack character and love, you're an advertisement for why Jesus is not worth following. Okay, we're done. Do you guys know who Brene Brown is? Yes. Yeah, so I did this uh, leadership class a couple of years ago, and um, she was asking the question, you, sh you guys should check her out on YouTube or podcast, she's pretty amazing, uh, but she, she asked this question, do you think people are doing the best that they can? And I was very delighted when she said that her first response was, Heck no. <laughs> and I was like, don't wrong right, they're not doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she went on for a while and she said, my husband, she said she started asking people and everybody was like, no, 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 people aren't doing the best that they can. But she asked her husband and she said, he gave the very best answer. She, he said, I don't know if they're doing the best they can or not, but it helps me to think that they are. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, because I don't always 
think people are doing the best that they can. And so as as Tim was going through the, the list, I was like, yeah, kindness, oh, compassion, oh, patience. I do. I, I, I struggle with those, and um, I'm better than I used to be, but God knows I have a ways to go, especially when pressure is on. I, I remember <laughs> you, you said this, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago. If you get an orange and you squeeze it, you're not expecting ketchup to come out. And I was like, oh, ketchup comes out. <laughs> so I just, I don't know, this, this message, you know, just really spoke to me. And so if, it, if, it, if it's something that you're struggling with, too, that you want to have a more patient, kind, compassionate walk, that when people look at you, I know it's my heart's desire. When they look at me, they go, she is doing the best that she can. <laughs> um, you know, come forward for prayer. I, I would love for the prayer team to come up and pray for Bunny. And Ken, would you come up with her, please? And, and Luann and Gail, just to be supportive and, you know, be in agreement. Thank you. And, you know, if you guys, if there's anybody sitting here that hasn't said, you know what, my life is not going <laughs> All that well. I've heard about Jesus, but um, I really need him. Would you just come to the cross and somebody will meet you there to pray? Um, and if you can, if anybody else wants to pray while we're praying for cancer, um, that is something, especially in this state, I know we used to be number one or number two per capita in the country. So I would be in the world or in Oh, yeah, in the country. Uh, I don't know if we still are. I just remember that statistic. So chances are you either have been affected by cancer or you know somebody that has been affected by cancer. So if you could stick around to pray in agreement with us, that would be wonderful. You can come forward or you can sit where you are and extend your hand. Or if you have a picnic to run off to, no judgment at all. We understand. Um, but... Yeah, fireworks. we did. We did last night. So, Lord, just thank you. Bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us and your grace be on us this week as we go about. And may people look at us and say, they're doing the best that they can. And may we feel the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.